Grace and peace to you, Sailorville Church. I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, welcome. We're glad you're here. It'll be on the screen behind me as well where you can follow along. Exodus chapter 6 as we continue in our journey to freedom through the book of Exodus. And we've seen and we will see Moses, God's mediator, that is the go-between between God and man, bringing about redemption through God to his people. And Moses is going to find that redemption is often messy for the mediator. When I was 14 years old, I had the most coveted job of any 14-year-old, I worked at the Southridge Hy-Vee in the Bottle Redemption Center. <laughs> Made $5.15 an hour. It was also a coveted uh, hourly wage as well. But working in the bottles, I didn't work every time, but I would go up and check my weekly two-week schedule up in the break room to see where I was. And next to some of the assignments were checking bottles. Oh, those days I knew were the worst because as you walked into the Bottle Redemption Center, I knew I was the go-between so that people who bought all their cans and bottles would come in and my job was to make sure they could get, redeem the money they had spent by making those machines work. Now, if you've been to one of these places before, you know that it is so sticky you can smell it, Right? It's like an all five senses experience, right? It's amazing. And my job was to empty out the bottles from the back of the machine, fix the machines when they were not working. You know what was interesting? Is I noticed as the mediator of the Bottle Redemption Center that people didn't really notice me until something was wrong. In fact, people didn't want to see me unless something was wrong. We didn't have a lot of great conversations in that sticky, smelly room. You just wanted to get out of there. Even my uh, boss did not want to speak to me all that much. In fact, so much so, instead of telling the guy that's working bottles that there's a machine that's down, they just installed a red light above the uh, cash registers that would blink when something was wrong. And the boss would just go, right? I remember once I'm working on Christmas Eve because I didn't ask off. And I had to go to a Christmas Eve service afterwards, covered in soda, beer, and the like, just all over my clothes. But I was facing opposition from without, those that were angry about the machines not working, and from within, those that didn't think I was getting my job done correctly. Moses was beginning to understand redemption is often messy for the mediator. And we'll see why here in just a moment. Look, at, go back to chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22 just to give a little bit of context of where we're at this morning. And it says this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I shall do. Whoever belongs to God hears the word of God, and this is God's word. Let's ask his blessing on it this morning. God in heaven, we thank you for your word. 
Thank you for your revelation to us that we know exactly what we need to know to be made right with you, to grow in you, and to have everything we need to live this life in wisdom. So we thank you, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would bless your word this morning, that you would take it into our ears and apply it to our hearts this morning, that we would see beautiful things in your law, and that we'd be changed as a result, starting with this preacher. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So why is Moses understanding that redemption is messy for the mediator? Well, he's facing opposition from the outside. He goes confidently with his brother Aaron to Pharaoh and speaks on God's behalf, claiming, saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh's response is, who is your God? I do not know him. I tell you what, instead of letting the people go, Moses, I'm going to say that your people are lazy, and they need to work a little bit harder. So I'm not going to provide straw for them anymore to make bricks. Instead, they're going to have to go out and find their own straw. And the guy that's in charge of that, I'm going to beat him to a pulp and make him really angry. So he's facing opposition from the outside, but Moses is also facing opposition from the inside. His own people, the foreman who has just been beat up, is waiting for Moses when he comes out from Pharaoh, and he says, we're a stench to Pharaoh. What is going on here? What have you done? Listen, whenever you're walking in obedience to God, you will face opposition from the outside and from the inside. Why is that the case? Why would God do that? Why would he choose to call out Moses, tell him what to do, and then not have it work out? Well, we get a little bit of lesson from Stephen when he gives a speech in Acts chapter 7 as he provides a little more commentary to the story of Moses. This is what it says in Acts 7. When he, that is Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man, avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Verse 25, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Here is Moses, confident young Moses, seeing himself as God's chosen man, goes and takes care of business on this Egyptian And then he thought, well, obviously they'll see how powerful I am, how wise I am, how strong I am, and that God is with me, and they will follow me. But that wasn't the case. They didn't understand. And in fact, Moses would then go through 40 years of humbling before he would ever go back to Egypt. He was facing opposition from the beginning, but why? Philip Ryken writes to us, he says, perhaps if Pharaoh would have let them go the first time that Moses talked to him, they would have given Moses the credit. Would Moses have given God glory? Sure, I bet that he would. But he would probably take some of that for himself, wouldn't he? Maybe in his own heart, just a little bit, but God would not allow that because God shares his glory with no one. He loves us too much to do that. And so he doesn't let Moses take the credit or even let it work out for the very first time because of what Paul Tripp says. Listen to this. God will take you 
where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could never achieve on your own. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could never achieve on your own. So God led Moses back to Egypt where he did not want to go, brought opposition his way so that he would rely on God and trust his power and do what he could never do in his own strength. Each one of us has a script for our lives, don't we? A script that we've written up of how we see our lives working out. Even we have a script for our week of what our week is supposed to go like, even what our day is supposed to be like. And you know through experience that oftentimes that script is rewritten. In fact, sometimes totally ripped up and thrown away. Things don't work out the way that they, we wanted them to. Why does that happen? Well, God changes our plans, leads us where we are not wanting to go so he can shape us, chip away areas of pride in our lives, areas that don't look like him for his purposes and for our good. So where do we go when things don't go as planned? Have you experienced that before? Have you felt the pain of that? This is not how I wrote it up. This is not how I thought it was going to go. Where do we go when that happens? I'll submit to you from the word of God this morning. We go the same place that Moses went. As the text says, then Moses turned to the Lord. This is where we go when we're facing opposition, when the script that we've written doesn't work out. We don't turn to someone else and complain We don't turn to our phone or another time waster, but we, like Moses, go directly to God. Now, why did I mention those examples just a moment ago? Because that's my default. That's where I turn, to someone else, to my phone, to another time waster to take my mind off of things and soak a little bit of how things have not worked out. But instead, Moses properly gives us the example of then turning to the Lord. And you notice here that the Lord doesn't rebuke him because Moses is actually complaining to God here. He's actually modeling for us that it's okay to talk to God about our emotions, our deep hurts, even our questions. God doesn't rebuke him for his questions that he brings to him. Instead, he gives Moses exactly what he needed and exactly what we need. Not a bigger picture of ourselves, but a bigger picture of himself. A bigger picture of God as seven times God says to Moses, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And he sandwiches this text together by saying, I am the Lord, I will do this, and then concludes it with, I am the Lord. Look at verse one. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, I will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them a land of Canaan, the land in which you lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel from the Egyptians holding them as slaves. And I have, 
remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give it to you for your possession because I am the Lord. One commentator named Moiter breaks this section down into three different areas, which I can't improve on this. I'm going to use his. I'm going to talk about how God reveals to us his faithfulness when we turn to him in the past, the present, and the future. So what we're talking about this morning is what do we need to be assured of in uncertainty? Do you have some uncertainty in your life right now? Do you wonder what's going on? You need to be assured in those moments, don't you? You need to be assured of who God is. And the first thing that God does in this passage with Moses is he assures him of his past faithfulness. His past faithfulness. God starts by giving Moses a history lesson. He says, Moses, are you familiar with Jewish history? You are, right? He says, do you remember your father Abraham? When I found him, Joshua tells us that he was worshiping idols. Scholars say that the people in Ur worshiped the moon. So he's saying he was worshiping the moon when I found him. And I told him that he would have an offspring as numerous as the stars, and that through him all the nations would be blessed. But do you remember, Moses? He didn't have any kids, and he wasn't able to. And you know what's really amazing about Abraham, Moses? He screwed up so much, and yet I was faithful to him. How about Isaac? Remember his son, who Abraham was willing to place on the altar, and I provided a way of escape, a substitute, a ram caught in the thicket? Oh, his beloved son was a screw-up too. Just like his dad, he had twins. He loved one over the other, yet... I remained faithful to Isaac and still made my promises to him. Oh, how about Jacob, that little deceiver? All the wrongs that he had done, yet I named him the nation that would come after him, Israel. And the tw- his 12 sons would be the 12 tribes. And what did I promise them, Moses? Land. I promised them Canaan, and that is where you are going to lead them. You see, when we turn to God, you got to be ready for a divine history lesson. Not just from the word of God, but he's going to bring a history lesson through your life of his faithfulness. Do you remember when God first found you, if indeed he has? Where were you headed? What were you doing? And God found you and called you to himself. How he's met your needs along the way. The old song that says, count your many blessings, name them one by one. That's a really good discipline to do, is to recall God's faithfulness in your life and name those things, how he has been faithful to you. As I think about my time at Sailorville Church, 
how God has led us here, how faithful he was to do that. I was a young 25-year-old. I thought I was the smartest 25-year-old ever. I had the opportunity to serve and lead the youth ministry to partner with parents here to disciple students and to see them come to know Christ. Just was talking to some of the students in the coffee cove just moments before this service and one of them gave me a really nice pat on the back as I walked away, putting a sticker on my back. It was really kind. One of the older adults bailed me out. I think about the opportunity to teach and preach in this church to grow up together into maturity. I think about the many cell groups that I've been a part of with my family. I think about how we were able to provide for others and how they were able to provide for us and the sweet fellowship that we were able to have. I think about the staff that I've been such, so blessed to be a part of, how I've learned so much for their speaking into my life about ministry and their friendships. I'm so grateful for Sailorville Church and what it has meant to myself and my family over the last 10 years. Thank you. That's one of those things that God brings to my mind and gives me a history lesson in uncertainty that he's gonna see things through. And when we turn to God, when he Things don't work out the way we planned. He not only gives us a history lesson, but he secondly reminds us of his present care. Verse five says, Moreover, I heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Listen to this. God is not indifferent to your pain. He's present. Even when it does not feel so, he's there. He hears the sufferings of his people Israel. He hears yours as well. And although he might not feel close, he feels distant. He is so very close to his children. He hears it and he knows it. And you must believe that. You must believe that he is working in your pain. That it's doing something. It's not a waste of time. He's bringing about character in your life, perseverance and hope, and he's unleashing his love on you. So lean into that, knowing that the God who, who promises, who has saved you, is going to keep you. And he remembers the promises he's made to you. It says that he remembered the covenant that he made with Israel. Now, when God remembers, it doesn't mean that he's forgotten R.C. Sproul defines for us that when God remembers, that means that he is now prepared to act on his promises. The promises that he has made, that he's not slow to keep those promises right. In our minds he is, but not in his. He says, now I am ready to act on these promises as I remember. Listen, just like God did not forget his people, he has not forgotten you. In the midst of your present pain, he is making you more like Jesus if you lean into it and you allow him to. He is working toward action in the present so that you can be assured of his future deliverance. So that you can be assured of his future deliverance. Look at verse six through eight. Verses six through eight. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
I will bring you into a land in the future. It hasn't happened yet. As I swore to give you to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will give it to you for a possession, for I am the Lord. So he's saying, listen, there is a future deliverance that is coming. I'm going to fulfill the promises that I have said. And you notice he says, I will do these things. I will bring these things about. I'm going to see you through. This is not the end of the story. Why does God work this way? Because God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could never achieve on your own. He wants to do great things in you, but first you have to realize he wants to re- you to rely on him and his power and his strength. Well, how do I know, though, that I can actually trust him? Because he's the Lord. That's why. Look at verse 3. I don't want us to miss this. It's very important. He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known with them. What's he saying here? He says, I've appeared to the patriarchs, and I did not make my name known to them. But I've made it known to you, Moses. That name, Yahweh, I am, when he appeared to him at the burning bush. He says, I told you my personal name. Now, what's interesting throughout this is that Genesis does show places where God revealed himself in this way to people before him, to the patriarchs. So what is God saying to Moses here? He says, they knew my name, but you're going to experience it. You're going to understand my name in its fullest extent. Riken says, Abraham knew God as the promise maker. Moses now had the opportunity to see God as the promise keeper, as he would see this covenant-keeping God bring about his promises. And see, listen, God is bringing you through things, and he's saying, I'm doing this so you can know my name, a name that you've recited in church, a name that you've sung about, but I'm going to take you through an experience that you're going to understand my name. It's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. But at the end, you're going to say, now I understand more fully who God is. And I'm going to say, I'm willing to trust him. You know, it's interesting how the scriptures work. It's progressive revelation over time. It's as if someone has a table out and they've got a bunch of items on it and it's all covered up with a, with a sheet. And then you slowly, progressively just reveal more and more of what's underneath there. That's how the scriptures work. Moses knew a lot, and yeah, he talked to God face to face, but I'll submit to you this morning that you know more about God's plan than Moses did. Because we have the whole, all of God's word, his full counsel before us. And so what Moses saw dimly, you and I can see clearly how God is working and how he is going to bring his plan about. Let me tell you just a little bit of what Moses didn't see that's available for us today. See, Moses knew the offspring of Abraham, that all the, all the people through him would be blessed. He knew about God's faithfulness and salvation. They all knew that. 
But we see the rest of the story. We know as his story continued, the story of one who was to come, a man after God's own heart. And he would be King David. And his line would be forever. And from him would come the true king, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all the peoples and all the nations shall inquire of him. The prophet Isaiah would come on the scene and he would foretell that, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Yet they did not know the name of who he was or the, they just knew the promise of his coming. Oh, he said he was not much to look at. In fact, the Savior was terribly unimpressive, but he would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And he would also bear the sins of all people. Isaiah, he cried out, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway of God. This is what you know now as the other prophets prophesied of all these things, that there would be one who would come to put away sin forever, to redeem man. But interestingly, the Old Testament ends with these promises seemingly being unfulfilled. And there were 400 years of silence in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Not a peep from God. All his promises still hanging out there according to human standards. But then, listen to this, the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus said himself, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Yes, the great I am, who was from the beginning, who spoke all things into existence, took on flesh and entered into his creation like an artist would step into his own painting. He performed many signs and wonders, authenticating his deity that he claimed. Peter James and John saw him transfigured in all his glory. Appearing with them was none other than Moses and Elijah. But he did not come ultimately to perform signs, but to bring life to all by his death as he willingly laid down his life. He died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried. Hope seemed lost. Evil had won. But listen to this, Sailorville Church. Three days later, he rose again, according to the scriptures. He appeared to many people over 40 days' time, including Peter, James, over 500 people at once, and finally, a young man named Saul. He ascended into heaven after this time, but not until after he had commissioned his disciples to carry on his work. They were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You see, the gospel is not just a Jewish message, but is for Jew and Gentile coming together as one new man believing in faith in his church. But they would not be doing this mission alone as Jesus promised he would be with them till the end of the age. But not just with them, but inside of them. While he was still with them, he promised the Holy Spirit that would take up residence in them. This is not just for them, but for you, your grandkids, your kids who are afar off, all who will believe in Christ. We are baptized, indwelt, sealed, secure, given inheritance that will not fade, kept in heaven for you. And these broken people, you and I, indwelled by the Spirit of God with Christ as his head and cornerstone, come together as living stones, making a living house. The church built by Christ to the gates of hell will not prevail. 
if this church will spread the message of the gospel, would have opposition from inside and outside, but many would believe in Jesus' death and resurrection that would bring them abundant life and eternal life, not facing hell and judgment, but life in the sun, and then would identify him in believers' baptism. They would be built up in their faith and commissioned by leaders, elders of the church, who were raised up to fulfill the work of the ministry, to lead people in word and in prayer, and to strengthen others to continue the ministry as older men are shepherding younger men, older women are shepherding younger women, all of us using our gifts as a sign to build us all into maturity in Christ, shaped, informed, rooted, always going deeper, never moving beyond the gospel. This is what you know that Moses didn't. But Jesus didn't leave the church on its own. For one day he will return to reclaim his bride. After a great tribulation, the end will come, Jesus says. He will come in the clouds and with a word he will put an end to enemies, bringing justice for all, all the wrongdoings being put away, and the great deceiver, Satan, will be cast away forever. We, his church, will watch as heaven will come down to earth, the new Jerusalem, adorned like a bride for her husband, and it will be announced, behold, the dwelling of God is with man. And God himself will say, look, I'm making all things new. I am undoing all the wrong. I am the alpha. I am the omega. I am the beginning and the end. Neither will there be death, pain, tears, because he will wipe them all from our eyes. There will be no need for sun because the glory of God will light this city. The one seated on the throne said to John as he was, as he was watching all these things happen, write these things down, for they are trustworthy and true. The apostle Peter asked, since all these things are to take place, what kind of people are we to be in holiness and honor? Sailorville Church, this is what we know. And we work hard. And we say, while we work, even so come, Lord Jesus. Moses knew a shadow of the things to come. Like the patriarchs, they knew God's name, but didn't know it in the fullness. And yet, Moses still believed we can trust our past experience with God, that he's been faithful, that he has seen us through, but even more, we can trust the sure, more better word of the scripture that God has revealed himself to us in his word. Verse nine, let's look at that together. But Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Isn't that interesting? All this directly from God, and their response is they can't hear it because of their crushed spirit. Some of you are here this morning, and what you just heard from me, what you've heard from this text, you haven't received it. Because your spirit is crushed. You know what I'm talking about. You feel like you have no straw to make bricks, but yet there's still that same amount of things that are on you, and yet you feel like you have no resources to make those things happen. You're at the end of your rope, like Israel was, hearing truth but not receiving it. I don't have some pithy statement for you or some 
big phrase that will catch you because that's not going to happen. It's got to be the Holy Spirit coming into your life and he's going to show you a person. And that's what I offer to you this morning is a person. Jesus Christ. And it's said of him that a bruised reed he will not break. And he offers the invitation. He says, come to me, all ye who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, Moses was a good mediator, but he wasn't a perfect one. He saw that redemption was often messy for the mediator, and he failed. But Jesus Christ was the perfect mediator, and he came into our mess, didn't care. He himself being above the mess as sinless, and a bruised reed he will not break, but he was our perfect mediator and was crushed for our sins. He bled and died on our behalf in our place. And so that's who we offer to you today. If you don't know Jesus, receive him. If you know Jesus and your spirit is crushed like this, these in this text, receive him. Not for salvation, but that's always the answer, is more Jesus, a bigger picture of who he is and what he wants to be in your life. God has been so faithful to Sailorville Church. He has shown his faithfulness in the past. We have a long history at Sailorville, very long. And we have seen God working through opposition from without and from within, and he's growing the church at Sailorville, and he has, through great leaders that have been here, through faithful servants. God has been faithful presently to Sailorville Church. People coming to know him, being baptized, identifying with Jesus, children being educated, students being mentored, young adults being loved, Middle-aged seniors coming into cell groups and sharing life together, going deeper into God's word, going deeper into the gospel and into fellowship. And I believe that God has wonderful plans for Sailorville Church, and he's gonna continue to be faithful. We love you so much. We care for you greatly. And if you continue to turn to God, just like Moses did, I believe this would be God's response, just like it was to Moses. Now you will see what I shall do. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, if we're honest, most of us would say, the script that I wrote for myself hasn't worked out the way I thought it would. Or some that said, actually, it's worked out exactly how it, I thought it would. And actually, um, I'm still empty. Even when I got everything I wanted, where do we turn? We turn to you. And you remind us of your past faithfulness, your present care in our lives, and future redemption. That you've paid the price for us to have freedom. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.